Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hello and welcome to episode 236 of What Most People Think and I come to you after a week of touring last week where you know when it was raining and it was dark and you were all hunkering down at about 6pm I was driving to Stroud, I was driving to Grimsby I was just some of the worst driving I've done in years me and my little Seattle Ibiza careering across the country and I was just so tired it tired me out like a little old man the following day I was like fucking Joe Biden facing down a hungry press pack and speaking to a fellow middle-aged man who's also going to be touring soon Dominic Frisbee who's co-hosted have you got a driver, Dom? I mean, your voice suggests that you might have a driver. <laughs> I don't have a driver, unfortunately. And I have a. I once had a very nice car and then the monthly payments ran out. So I gave it back and then I had no car for years. And then when my dad died, there was his old car lying around. So I now have his old car, which is a Mercedes A-Class, which is currently being serviced in anticipation of my tour. Ah, Look, immediately, there's a lot of blokey blokes that listen to this. They'll be thinking, fuel economy, fuel economy. What, what are we talking here? What? It's not great. It's a 1.6 engine. <laughs> yeah, no shit. And uh, it's really not that good. Mercedes A-Class, you'd think it would be a really good fuel economy, but it runs out quicker than I think it will, and it costs me more to fill it up than I think it should. But at least you get to look like the absolute bollocks when you pull in to Lee Delamere services. Or... <laughs> I don't. I look like your mate's nan. <laughs> Yeah, I met my mate's nan. She's fierce. Fuck, mate. I must say, Jeff, I, I remember listening to you on a podcast once upon a time, and I think you were describing your roots, and you you said that your dad would have been what Thatcher called Mondeo Man or, or something like that. Yes, yeah, so yeah. So are you not, like, by driving a Seat Ibiza, are you not betraying your your heritage, and should you not be driving a Ford of some kind? Yeah, I think I would argue that the Ford brand has changed somewhat over time. But I guess, yeah, if you look back, my dad had a big Ford Granada. Do you remember those? Oh, like, the, magnificent like Just cars. after the Sierra. Oh, my God, this immediately becomes like the most middle-aged bloke podcast <laughs> ever. But they were, it was really quite fancy, actually, at the time. And it was very comfortable and big inside. But um, my dad was tight with money. Just a car is the last thing that I would spend money on. Like, literally the last okay. thing. I would have a really nice holiday before I had a nice car. I think it's the same. Like, I live in London and you just know that it's going to get scraped, it's going to get bumped, it's going to do thing. And you have an expensive car and you're like, ah, it gets on your nerves. But I've got such a shit car. It got broken into the other day mm. and it was like three days before I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> and also when the great kind of like middle class anarchist revolution comes, they're just, they're going to look at cars. Mine already yeah. looks like it's been attacked by the Roman mob in the Simpsons. Okay. So they'll just go, no, fine. That one's been done. Move on to the next one. In terms <laughs> of subjects this week that um, you're going to discuss with us, Tom, it's great to have you here to look at this issue of the Labour MP, um, well, prospective MP, Azza Ali in the Rochdale by-election. It came out 
out over the weekend that he'd said, well, he had some choice comments about Israel and that's still an ongoing thing. But I think there are loads of issues in and around that that we can uh, discuss. Also looking at the US presidential developments, there's been over the last seven weeks, things have come out. You know, I mean, it's never going to be boring with Donald Trump, but Joe Biden has thrown his own hat into the ring by being fucking mental and senile. I've got a massive conspiracy theory to add into this when we come to it. I, I look forward to that with bated breath. And then for the Patreon-only section, there's this issue of the actress Gina Carano, who is taking Disney to call because she was cancelled. She genuinely was cancelled. I mean, we've got to this point now where people have sort of decided that cancel culture is a myth. She was literally cancelled from her role as Cara Dune uh, in The Mandalorian. And it must, it must scare Disney a little bit that she's found a backer to go to court. And that, that backer is the richest man on earth. And not that it's anything to do with his eternal dick joust uh, with Disney and Bob Iger. But uh, that'll be for the patrons coming up. Now, new patrons for this week. We've got a new board member. So that is Kevin Thorne. Uh, welcome to the board, Kevin. Uh, you can have a seat next to the window there, just looking out across the Thames there. Up, here we are up on the 15th floor. <laughs> it's great this. I could just make it. But also, you know, we should remind people, the board members, so every once in a while, somebody pays the 20 quid a month. And what you get for that is you get my eternal gratitude. You get, of course, like all board members, Karen, my PA, will bring you a... Uh, an imaginary croissant and an orange juice and a, a strong coffee, but you get a copy of Where Did I Go Right? How How the Left Lost Me. And I'll, if you want an inscription in that, just message me and I'll send that into the post. I can't, I can't say fairer than that, Dom. That's very good. How have you got so many... Because every time I've published a book, they charge me so much to buy my own book that I've stopped signing it and giving copies away. Have you got a deal with your publisher where you just, get... Just wait. Just lay back. <laughs> Hang back, wait until, keep an eye on the Amazon price. And then when it goes through the floor, then just go, oh, I'd like to put in an offer of those ones you were just about to pulp. That's the secret, is it? Okay. I've just fucking undermined my own offer there by giving away the fact. No, I mean, I still paid a, a reasonable price for them. But obviously, you'd hope that of all people that might be able to cut a deal, it might be the bloke that fucking wrote it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, of, of all people, oh, yeah, yeah, we know you. We give you a good price. They don't. It's impossible to make money selling your own book is what I discovered. <laughs> They charge me so much for it. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Is Some people say to me, well, why don't you sell them at all tour shows? But I am so, um, what's the word? Dyspraxic, is that the word? Yeah. After I come off stage, even signing my own name, I have to really like focus because the process of being on stage for, for 80 minutes and then people come on, they go, my name's Darren and I'll just write their name's Susan. You know, in this day and age, <laughs> you can't do that sort of shit. Do you do two halves or do you do 80 minutes? I, I do it all myself now because once you get into the second leg, I mean, this tour will be 80 dates in total by the end. And yeah, I've just got enough material and stuff. But it is that doing 80 instead of 60, that extra 20 minutes, I don't know what it does. But when I wake up in the morning, my wife just sort of takes one look at me and she can, she can sort of tell. She's like, <laughs> give daddy some space. <laughs> I've got the old Joe Biden look going on. <laughs> <laughs> what about yourself? You well, I'll, I'll do two halves, 45 minutes each half, but it's songs. Like I, I was I was asking if you were just doing 80 minutes without a break. That oh, God, no, no, no. Listen, the people that come to my shows, the bladders on some of the men in the room, I just I just don't <laughs> think that's practical, frankly. You've got to give – if anything, like if, if I was being realistic, it would be like American football, like the Super Bowl. I'd have breaks every sort of 20 minutes. <laughs> and now a word for our commercial sponsors and for all the men with bladders the size of fucking walnuts. You should do product placement for prostate. Prostate problems should be your new sponsor. Well, this is what I think. I, I'm surprised that more advertisers haven't come to me because a lot of the podcasts that do well are really like funky, young, metropolitan types. I'm here. I'm hitting that fucking Giacomo market. Do you know what I mean? 
I'm hitting Weatherspoons. I, I actually like Travel Lodges. I, I'm galled that people haven't realised that if they want to hit that gammon market... They're still using Lenny Henry, are they? They're still... <laughs> fucking I mean how many I want to be the Lenny Henry for Travelodge but I want to say to them look just like Travelodge is cheaper than Premier Inn I am a lot cheaper than Lenny Henry I don't I don't even want to feed them I just like if they just every once in a while say oh cheers for mentioning us in all your podcasts and on your tour here's free wi-fi and a breakfast do you know do you know how happy that would make me you want to get into the Travelodge magazine is there a magazine I don't know, but it's like... Oh, do you see how interested I got there? You know, like the in-flight BA ones. Um, I actually did go to a travel lodge in Farringdon recently and they gave me the same room again. And I thought, okay, it's starting to happen. I knew I was making grounds. I once got featured in the Weatherspoons magazine and then I went for a pint in Weatherspoons and read the article about myself in the Weatherspoons magazine and that was like, I've made it. What were they saying about you? This, well, this guy is absolute legend of the all-day breakfast? Or <laughs> I wrote a song, a comic song about Weatherspoons, and they did a little extract from one of the jokes. And it was during Edinburgh, and it was I was hoping to get some publicity for my Edinburgh show, but there's not a lot of crossover between the Weatherspoons crowd and the Edinburgh Fringe <laughs> crowd, unfortunately. Again, you've got to come and see my crowd, mate. They literally... I do my shows around tea time in Edinburgh, about 5pm, 6pm, and I still think a lot of them are going... It's a bit late, that, Jeff. <laughs> it's a bit late. But having said that, um, what a great opportunity to shoehorn in a plug is that I am going to be at the Edinburgh Fringe for the last week of the festival from the Wednesday uh, to the Sunday, and I'll be doing 6.40 in the Ermintrude Room. And Dom is going to be on tour, and as I say, we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. Um, Domain Talking Point, David Domain, our super patriot, and has been for many years, and he picks up from things in the last episode of the show. And what a brilliant thing he's picked up on. Uh, from last week's episode, which is shrinkflation, right? So this is a thing that happens as Mm -hmm. materials get more expensive, as the economy gets tighter. Brands and products basically take the piss by making things smaller. I mean, it's actually not, it's not complicated at all. So um, David brings up some of the worst offenders. Listerine Fresh Burst mouthwash has shrunk from 600 milliliters to 500 milliliters. What's that, about 17%, something like that? But prices for this product rose by 52p in Tesco's. So you're paying 21% more for 17% less. So that's a, what is that? that's a net movement of 38%. Wow. Piss takers. That is a good sponsor. They, well, I've lost them immediately. There you go. Yes. Piss takers. I've just realised now I've got advertising on the uh, the podcast. This is probably the worst time to do this. But anyway, PG Tips Decaf Pyramid has gone from containing 180 tea bags to just 140 at several supermarkets. And at Ocado, the price actually rose. Well, of course it rose at Ocado. Mm. It's Ocado. They're actually trying to get rid of people at Ocado, aren't they? They're trying to thin the herd to the good people. This is quality. Would you, mate, this show's got everything. Yeah, no, but I mean, this is like, I think Mars bars have shrunk in size. Um, Mars bars are now, well, what I've noticed is how many things, you pieces of food you could hold between finger and thumb now. I started thinking about this when I had a sausage and egg McMuffin and I could literally hold it like a volivant. And the problem is, I suppose you could say at a time of an obesity epidemic, I haven't checked if it's an epidemic, but that's obviously what we call all these things, is you could make some, if you were an interventionist nanny status, you could make an argument for it. But I've just got a hunch that people who eat a Big Mac that's smaller than it used to be will then go back and get six chicken nugget chasers. That's my theory. (laughs) A chaser. (laughs) <laughs> a nugget chaser yeah i mean i guess i suppose they're not going to advertise it are they but some of those movements i do think this is what this is where the tabloid press are actually brilliant you can you can guarantee that the sun at some point will tell you who the worst offenders are i hope so cereal you look at all the cereal packets they've got smaller 
Well, there was one particular cereal recently that uh, my wife, she likes the finer things in life. And when she said she's not paying the current price for Weetabix and instead went with the supermarket own brand, I think it's called Bicker Bricks or yeah. it sounded more like a child's Lego. This is the woman, a woman that will happily pay 17 quid for a drink at London bars. The moment she's going for budget Weetabix, you know something's up. Okay, the thank you. I'll do the thank you. Don will do the fuck you. The thank you is to Back to the Future, the musical, which I went to see yesterday with my son. And it was good fun, man. Are you a musicals guy, Dom? I'm a recent convert to musicals. And I've actually written my own musical, which featured on this show last time I came on the show. Do you remember? We talked about it. Kisses on a postcard, the one about World War II. Yes, yes, yeah. No, people found that, that whole thing very effective. Well, this was Back to the Future, the musical. Yeah, I've heard it's really good. Yeah, it was. I, I don't know if they had a stand-in playing Marty McFly, but the audience <laughs> did not bond with him. So there's a bit right at the beginning where it all goes quiet and then he kind of opens the door and goes, duck. Now, I think that it's fairly standard that he gets a kind of American sitcom-style round of applause there, but it wasn't forthcoming. <laughs> oh, really? I don't know what... Uh, yeah, I, but he said it in a sort of, like, timid way that the audience, like, um, is the doc really here? The audience, like, I don't know. You don't seem to think he's going to be here, which would be a, a shame for the first scene of the entire musical. But it was good. It was really good. But it also had a, it had a scene in... You know the scene where his mum's sort of coming on to him? Yes. In the film, that's... It's quite uncomfortable, but here they played it for every bit of discomfort. I, I thought being a musical and being a broad audience, they'd actually gloss over that a little bit. I would say at one point she's at eye level with his dick, is what I'd say, with and he's in his pants. God, yeah, I did not didn't see didn't see that coming, and nor did she, much to her frustration. And then the other thought I had, which I wanted to run by you, is that obviously that film is set in 1985, and it, he goes back to 1955. Now, when we all watched it as kids, we were like, wow, what a seismic leap. This is a whole different world. But as the internet often reminds us of such things, it's 2024 now. A similar jump back would be back to 1994. God, isn't that interesting? Well, yeah, ageing, depressing, it's a lot of things. I suppose the question is, is would it work on an aesthetic and tonal level? Was there something about the jump from 1955 in terms of society's values and how society simply looked to 1985 that was unique or are we just old and have not realised that it's just time and it's the same thing? I think we're old and we haven't realised. And also what happens is... There's always a nostalgia for the period 30 years ago mm. because that's the period when our parents were kids or yeah. when we were kids, basically. Mm. So in the 1980s, we as kids, as 12-year-old kids or whatever we were, would have liked it, but our parents would have loved it because it would have reminded them when they were young. Yes. I mean, so there's loads of 90s nostalgia stuff doing the rounds now. They didn't have mobile phones in the 90s. No, they didn't. They didn't even have smartphones until 2008. So, you know, there's a host of jokes and parallels and things like that. A lot of Mondeos knocking about, you a know. A lot of Mondeos, a lot of dodgy haircuts. Men with perms and stuff. I suppose that what the 50s had was a, a sense, certainly in America, of a post-war thrusting generation full of confidence, big fucking cars, you know, cars that were full of self-belief. It was pure and innocent, and it was a very stylish time, I think, the 50s as well, which helps... And that maybe is why it works so well, is because you flash forward to the 80s was a, a very chaotic, certainly in America in particular. But if you see 80s nostalgia films now, like there was one with Adam Sandler and stuff, the, the 80s look stylish. 
retrospectively. It's only at the time it seems chaotic. I'm not sure about women's fashion in the 80s. There was a lot of crimped hair and denim jackets and rah-rah skirts. It was not, not very womanly, I'd have to say. Not very. <laughs> I, I would say a high watermark for women's fashion was around the early to mid-noughties. I remember Girls Aloud came in and they were wearing A-line skirts and they just looked classy, Dob. And it made me very resentful for the period I was at university where actually fashions were quite androgynous in the 90s without really being referred to as such. Do you remember the woman in Matt Bianco? She used to wear like suits and she was 80s. She looked gorgeous. I suppose there was the Robert Palmer video, Addicted to Love. God, we've we've gone really old fart in this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. We're, we're reminiscing about old cars and, and our women used to look <laughs> nicer. I tell you what, though, this is a genuine thing. I think everyone is hotter now than they were a generation ago yeah. because of sexual selection. So human beings, are with each generation, they're getting better and better looking. That is a great reason for time travel. So, you know, the Back to the Future sequel, if you were to remake those films, that could be his motivation for going forward to the future. Yeah, everyone will be hot. Yeah, but except you won't. That would yeah. be the problem. You would still look like <laughs> you look now. And you would probably be hounded like some sort of arriving alien. Look at this fucking freak. I mean, somebody of my height simply wouldn't be tolerated. Okay, let's do the fuck you, Dom. I don't know what this is yet, so this is always a great mystery for me. What is your fuck you this week? Well... I'm going to confess to you, Jeff, that I had not prepared a fuck you. Okay. And then in listening to you talk about musicals, I am going to give the most almighty fuck you in all human history to the National Theatre. Go ahead. And the reason I'm going to give the National Theatre an almighty fuck you is they spend an absolute fortune putting on all this stuff that's of absolutely no relevance to national history and national culture and and things that the nation is worried about. It's been totally hijacked by one worldview, which is not our worldview, let's put it that way. But the major reason for giving the National Theatre a great big fuck you is that they do not currently have plans to put on my musical Kisses on a Postcard. <laughs> well, absolute bastards. Uh, probably... The way to get them to put it on is not to tell them the fuck you. But in these weird times, maybe that's the way to get them to put it on. Could be the counterintuitive mood. So so your your musical, you know, there's a Second World War narrative in there. About the adventures of kids in the Second World War. And, it's and, a, and, and yeah, what kind of things have they put on then that have annoyed you? They, they had a choice. And they this is like 10 years ago, but they could have put on Kisses on a Postcard and they decided to redo Oklahoma instead. Oh, I see. I thought you were going to say it was woke stuff, and you. you oh just... yeah, well, no, that was like, why are you re-putting on Oklahoma? But and they also put on stupid woke stuff as well. But I don't even look at their programming. But I, I don't need to. Or there'll be some like transsexual adaptation of Aeschylus or something like that going on. Oklahoma. <laughs> eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Okay, uh, listen, we're going to start off talking about the shitstorm around the Rochdale by-election with the Labour prospective MP, Azza Ali.
By the time this goes out, people might have been caught up here. But just a quick recap on what's happened is that the prospective parliamentary candidate Azza Ali, Labour guy, was caught on mic saying that Israel basically allowed the October the 7th attacks to happen because they wanted carte blanche to do uh, what they wanted to do in Israel, right? So this kind of came up over the weekend and quite quickly it became a bit of a shitstorm. Now, I don't think that they can actually take him off the ballot legally once it's come out. So the option for Labour to to sort of dispatch with him isn't actually there. But as we speak, there has been very little from the Labour, well, nothing from the Labour leadership, actually. They haven't spoken about this, which given how hard they've come down on people that have repeated to, from the river to the sea and various other things and Kate Osamore uh, being suspended and so on, it has surprised a lot of people on the left of the party. And generally, I mean, the thing is, Dom, right, whatever we think about Corbynistas, there is a feeling here that eventually he might get suspended or have the whip pre-withdrawn. But the shitstorm that would have happened if this had occurred under Corbyn would have been much bigger, right? Absolutely. I, I'm fairly new to this story because when I you sent me the guy's name and when I Googled it, I discovered that he was actually a cricket player for Pakistan who made his debut in 2011. <laughs> but it's a different, different guy by the same name. So I was slightly misled. I was thinking, why is Jeff so interested in cricket? I mean, I know you like cricket. Well, I mean, but- there is a, there's a solid reason for that. But yeah, if we get serious for a moment, like the card they've played is it's too late to withdraw mm. the whip. But if he truly wanted to purge the Labour Party of anti-Semitism, as he said he, he wants to do, and you can pretty much assume he wants to do that because his wife's Jewish, then he would just sack that guy and be absolutist about it. And actually, in a way, I kind of think he should do that because there's going to be a general election within a year. So does it really matter if he does or doesn't win win Watchdale? Mm. But what he's done is he's got off on a technicality. Typical, they can't get a new candidate in in time. And he sort of played that technicality card, which is a very, that's kind of how a solicitor thinks or a lawyer thinks and Keir Starmer's a solicitor. So I can see why he's done that. It's kind of the easy route. But there's also the factor that if he were to sack that guy for his anti-Semitic statement, what impact, like Labour pretty much owns most of the Muslim vote in this country, I think. And there's, I don't know how many Muslim voters there are, five million or something like that. Yeah, I think it's um, last election, some people think it was as high as 86% Labour among Muslim voters. Wow, that's even higher than I thought it was. 86% is really high. Now, you know, he obviously wants to keep that vote. And, you know, traditionally, there's quite a lot of, how do I put it? There's a lot of rivalry between Israel and the Arab world. There's a lot of rivalry between uh, Judaism and Islam. I'm using sort of polite language. So if he were to effectively sack a Muslim guy for anti-Semitic views, what impact would that have on the rest of the Muslim vote? I think it's with 86% strength, I think he can still pretty much count on that vote. But so I, I wonder if that is in his mind as well. So there's a, a political um, dimension to this. It must be said that, that by the time this goes out, he may well have taken action. But I suppose what's been interesting is the pause. You know, the story brewed up over the weekend and it certainly wasn't an Im- immediate decision. In terms of the coverage of the story, it did take a while. I don't want to be one of these guys that sort of says like, oh, I've noticed that the BBC is still silent on this because BBC News isn't there to reflect what we all think the news should be, right? They've got to aggregate it and so on. But it must say, it did take a while to go up. And then when it did go up, we talk about editorialising. The way that they worded the main headline, it said, Labour MP apologises after Israel comments, 
I thought, hmm, that's an interesting order to put it in. So first up, you put apologizes. All right, so it's done. Okay, just so you know, guys, this is news, but it's sort of done. And it's after Israel comments. I was like, comments? That's a bit general, isn't it? I suppose some people could have said it was a vile anti-Semitic slur slash conspiracy theory. But so I do think that there is this there is this charge that the Tories have got is where where the general mood of the press has become so anti-government is when a story comes around, it still needs to be treated with the correct level of gravitas. It was a bit like the Hunter Biden laptop story. You know, the press don't suddenly get to decide, well, it's all gone one way. We need a new government. So we're not going to spotlight this story too much. But meanwhile, you know, and online and in other news sources, this continues to rage on. And, you know, Labour, one of, the, you know, the arguments, which probably they wouldn't say, is that George Galloway is also standing in this seat. Yeah. What a fucking by-election this is now. This is going to be cracking because Galloway, he's a serious challenger. So George Galloway has been fairly um, stridently anti-Israel many times in his past. He said certain things. So the Labour Party... They've sort of got on the one hand, they go, well, this is a guy that said something, got found out and apologised. Now, whether or not he would have apologised at all if he hadn't been found out, that for some people is the worry. And how the hell was he able to say this among Labour members? Did he, he felt so comfortable to say it? And maybe he was being recorded because that wasn't the first time he'd said it. But on the other hand, you've got George Galloway. So you might say on the one hand, you know, there's the lesser of two evils here, but people could vote for the Tory or they could vote for the Lib Dem or somebody who's a bit more appropriate to be in Parliament than somebody who's willing to deal in rank conspiracy theories. Yeah, I mean, it's another symptom of, effectively, the Labour Party and the Conservative Party are both coalitions. And in order to win an election, you kind of have to unite, you know, the, the centrist part of your party and the extreme part. And often the leader that does that best is the one that wins the election. And, and Starmer probably knows that all he has to do to win the election is not fuck up. Yeah. And so everything he's is about is just being as quiet as possible and as unsensationalist. And so he w I think every decision he takes will be the way that involves the least sensation. Well, but this is what I said in the breaking news episode that I put up on Friday is but increasingly he stands for nothing, right? So if yeah. he had a USP compared to former prime ministers, it would be that he's decent and honorable. Well, when you constantly engage in electioneering, like every single decision you make is through the prism of something that could chip away at this 20 point lead that you just inherited, that you didn't really do anything to win in the first place. Is he decent or honorable? Now he might say he can't do anything in opposition. I would say if you've got a 20-point lead, you've got some kind of uh, honesty points you could spend. I agree, but he doesn't think like that. He think He's a solicitor or a barrister. He thinks like a lawyer. And lawyers, they only think about what you need to do to win that court case and what is the law. You know, And often what is the law and what is the right thing to do are not the same. And I just know from my you know few times that just, 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 just how he will think. You can imagine, though, like the facepalm moment that he had. Like this is, if you could just construct the worst possible thing for Labour at this point in time, right? As you say, they've got the pressure among their Muslim vote for the stance that he's taken on Israel, right? And, and then on the other side, he's trying to prove that the Labour Party has demonstrably changed since Corbyn in terms of anti-Semitism. Yeah. You could not write a trickier situation for him to handle. He must have gone, oh, for fuck's sake, for fuck's sake. I mean, those are just the worst... Oh, and his wife's trying to placate him. He's going, look, it wasn't deliberately done. I've just spent two fucking years just 
Oh, Jesus yeah. fucking... <laughs> I just like the idea of Keir Starmer walking around his house on a Sunday morning just cursing. Yeah, the problem is, you know, a lot of people get into politics because they are political and he's leading a party of political people and they all have their own opinions and not all of them will toe the party, the bland mm. party line. And he's just going to hope that, you know, as I say, there's as little sensation as possible. Well, like he might act now, even between us saying this in the podcast going up, he might act. He might say that we we immediately suspend the whip, and that person will be the MP until the election. Then it will be someone else, right? So he, then he gives Galloway the seat, doesn't he? Potentially, but I suppose the point is, is it's an inroads to asking the question: Has Labour really changed? Right? So Starmer has kind of whipped the party into this machine that's there to keep a lead in the polls. It's, it's the weirdest machine in British political yeah. history. It's Some of them were to win power, some of them were to demonstrate economic competence. Theirs is to not lose points in a poll, which is a very strange um, setup. But then you can ask the question of how much has the party has really changed? You know, We know what him and Rachel Reeves stand for. They're very much establishment figures. How much has the Labour parliamentary party changed? I don't know. I would say that at least some of them are hostile to the West, right? At least some, mm-hmm. you know. Then you get out into the kind of membership. Yes, I think there would be a lot of hostile anti-Western sentiment there, a lot of anti-Israel sentiment, and then you get into the the voters. So this idea that this one guy that's just said, so, "Look, we've lost. We've got to stop dicking around," right? That that can somehow, at a stroke, change the entire culture of the Labour Party. You know, all of its institutions. That's what I've always been suspicious of. So that's why this is such a nightmare story for it. Yeah, well, it's a tip of the iceberg job and it's indicative of something much bigger that he's trying to keep quiet. But you know, once they win, you know, two or three years in, it'll all unravel. Yeah, well, <laughs> this is what I thought for a while is that for Starmer, a, a, a small majority is probably the most manageable thing. Just like Cameron with the coalition, basically, you not lot need to lot dick around because we could be out really quickly. Labour with a 150-seat majority, I would imagine that the unions, the national executive, all those bodies would go, look, if we can't do a proper left-wing agenda now, we'll never do it. So I've got this prediction, if they win 150 seats, he'll get booed out of in two years because they'll think this will be our only time where we could enact a, a quasi-socialist agenda. We've set this precedent now of getting rid of prime ministers every year or two, so maybe Labour will do the same. Okay, just a couple more new patrons. We've got somebody called Holtz. Holtz is a nickname. What would Holtz be short for as a surname? H-O-L-T-S. Uh, no, so it's spelt Holtz, but I'm guessing that that is the nickname that he gives himself on Stag Dues. Holtz. Steve Holtz. Steve Holt was... Uh... He was a boxing commentator from Eurosport back in the <laughs> what day. What a fucking shout that is. But so I reckon Steve Holt, Holtzy, is the kind of guy that turn up to Sunday football, smoking a Benson and Hedges, uh, who's just come from some bird's house, you know, yeah, back yeah. in the day. Number nine. Just uh, drinking an energy drink, going, fuck, you know, I just come from that bird's She fucking kept me up all night. Yeah. And you go, Steve, you're staying at your mum's, mate. Stop. Fastest man over three yards. <laughs> the other new patron is Stephen Newman. Stephen Newman, who looks like he writes... Uh, industrial espionage thrillers. <laughs> the latest from Stephen Newman. Cortec and the death of a CEO. One of those ones that's trying to capitalise on the Stephen Bartlett phenomenon. And fluoride. The truth about fluoride. The truth. Exactly that. There's a lot of those big tech conspiracy documentaries. Fluoride and your IQ. Well, isn't fluoride supposed to lower your IQ? Yeah, that's why they're getting everyone to have fluoride in the toothpaste because they want to lo- lower the IQ of the people so that they're easier to rule. That would be it. Fluoride, brain decay. 
<laughs> just to mention the tour I am on tour right up till the end of April tour shows coming up this week on Valentine's Day at the Mansfield Palace Theatre on Wednesday the 14th Loughborough on the Thursday Bromsgrove is sold out Derby on Wednesday the 21st of February I think Kendall's now sold out Lancaster's getting close to sold out Middlesbrough Newport Tewkesbury and then Stevenage is sold out those are the upcoming ones so if you fancy any of those do go to Live Nation it's been an absolute pleasure doing this tour and someone else you should go and see is Dominic Frisby Dom what, what is your tour when's it going out mate well I'm doing a mini tour March and April I've got dates in London Bath Guildford Southend and Borden in Hampshire. I've never been to Borden in Hampshire before. So it's only a mini tour, five dates, but lots of uh, hilarious songs. And if you're in town this week, I'm doing one of my lectures about gold at the Museum of Comedy. But the big thing is, is the tour in March and April. Did, sorry, did you give the title? What, does it have a title? An Evening of Curious Songs. An Evening of Curious Songs. Well, I, I think it'll be anyone that's seen you at Comedy Unleashed would know it's always a great night. It's great fun with your songs as well. They're not, I would describe them as often with comedy. When, when the comedian picks up a guitar and goes, I'm going to do a song, I kind of go, oh, well, I'm going to go for a piss. But it's not like, like that with you. They sort of stand as songs on their own right, which is evidenced by how well some of them have done on like iTunes and YouTube. Yeah, well, we had a 17 million F-offs got to number one in the Amazon charts. So, yeah, I write the words and the guy who writes the music is a fantastic musician but he still won't put his name on any of them. <laughs> <laughs> Must be fun when you do a song about cancel culture. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I think he's got a career in music that he wants to preserve. I think the songs are pretty good and I, I'm, I'm able to say that because he's a good musician. And then when we do the song, I've got a guy called Chad Lalong who's a brilliant pianist accompanying me. So, you know, it's pleasant on the ears, even with my singing. Lovely stuff. Okay, so just catching up a bit, obviously, we're heating up towards the, the US election in November. There was a report that dropped at the back end of last week about Joe Biden. It was about the fact he had classified documents at his home, similar to Trump, but not on the same scale. But they obviously, to be seen to be doing justice, they had to investigate him. And, and basically, they're not going to prosecute. But there was this one sentence that was in the report, which was as damning to Biden as anything else, which described him as an elderly man with a poor memory. And this has really landed hard. I mean... So first up, Biden immediately called a press conference where he was like, God damn it. And he was sort of shaking his fist like, you goddamn young whippersnappers, which immediately, if you're trying to downplay the effects of his age on his brain power, sort of looking like Grandpa Simpson getting furious at a group of teenagers outside his house probably wasn't the best thing. And he got a bit cross with a few of the reporters. The interesting thing I think is, Dom, is how like Trump has all these um, accusations, investigations, and yet this one sentence an elderly man with a poor memory. You could not, in the same way that this this uh, Azza Ali thing goes to the heart of Labour's weakness, this really is, is going to be a problem for Biden, isn't it? Well, it's the lyric for a song, isn't it? Yeah. An elderly man <laughs> with a poor memory. It's a great lyric for a song. A Nick Cave song. He yeah. was an elderly man with a poor memory with his finger on the nuclear button. I mean, that is the problem. He's like, whatever people will say, well, he's not really in charge. You go, well, it's either... Are you lying to us and someone else is actually in control? Or is a guy who does seem to be, and I'll say it and the politicos can't, it seems that he has some form of dementia. He does. Yeah, I'm sure he does. And, and if he's too old to stand trial then he's and too you know infirm to stand trial, then he's too old and infirm to be the president. But I saw that press conference and it was a shit show. It was embarrassing. Yeah, it's hard work. He got Egypt and Mexico muddled up. <laughs> You know, and he was talking about the border with Mexico and the border with Israel. And, and you know, we all make mistakes and we all, I, I 
you know, had brain frazzles before and, and, you know, it's horrible. But the fact is, every time, it's like a footballer at the end of his career, every time he has a bad game, they'll say he's too old to carry on, even if it's just a bad game. And with him, the whole focus is on his senility. Well, yeah, I mean, what was interesting in that press conference was there were times where he was actually quite sharp. So I guess what we see is the bad moments, but at the moment, it seems like there are a lot of bad moments. And the nature of TV, everyone just clips the bad moments and you see them out of context. I mean, he's 81, right? Well, someone said something interesting on another podcast, which is he is... Bill Clinton, who was president in 1992, is still younger than Joe Biden is now. <laughs> it's fucking astonishing. That is incredible. And Clinton looks so old. I mean, Clinton looks so old. So, I mean... You just say for an 81-year-old guy who I think, based on you know what I've seen around me with family members, a lot of people who've been around people who are unlucky enough to have dementia, they'll see what happens with their eyes, their movements, the way they conduct themselves. They'll see that in Joe Biden. So, you, so is it that he's undiagnosed or is he diagnosed and they're not willing to tell the American people? They've made a real kind of rod for their own back with this. And as, as much as he had good moments in that interview where I thought, my God, if he is an 81-year-old man with a bit of dementia – he still has moments where of, of great sort of clarity, but it fades. You can see it fade. I mean, at one point he said to a reporter, he let them ask a question and he said, well, I must have a poor memory because I, I let you question me. And then he, 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 you could tell that he, th- he knew that there was a joke there, but he yeah, no yeah. longer knew what it was. What he should have said was, well, if I had a good memory, I would have remembered not to let you ask a question, right? There might be 81-year-olds that could do that job. Joe Biden isn't that person. He just looks so doddery. When he gets out of a plane or he walks on stage and he keeps falling over, he just looks so doddery. And, and look, Trump has got memory problems as well, but with Trump... I've got memory problems. Well, you, with Trump, you go, it's just a human thing. We, we re- react to politicians as human beings, right? So with Trump, you go, I'm going to estimate that he's a bit fucking mental, but his memory problems are probably in line with that which we would expect from older age. Your cognitive dissonance or whatever they call it, it your cognition declines once you pass 60. Yeah. I mean, Trump might end the world because he's had a bad morning. Joe Biden might do it just because he f- because he pressed the wrong button. <laughs> but here's the conspiracy, Jeff, and it's happening in front of our eyes. Oh God, I'm not standing as a prospective parliamentary candidate for Labour, so I'm good. On you go. My friend told me this about six weeks ago, and he was he put money on it. And the thing is this, they let Trump win the Republican nomination, Mm-hmm. And then once that's secure, so it looks like it's going to be Trump-Biden, they get rid of Biden, old age, and they stick in Michelle Obama. But how do you do that? By what mechanism? I don't know, but I know that Michelle Obama's odds have come down from like 200 to 1 to 15 to 1 or something like that. So they get her in. So sorry, they let Biden just win? So they're expecting no, Biden's no, going to Biden win? Biden now. So now Trump has won it. They'll go, Biden's too ill to stand. Yeah. Michelle Obama's going to be the candidate. Okay, and it's a Trump versus Michelle Obama. Because I suppose the the issue is, is if they if people are trying to diagnose Biden and he's just saying no. I mean, you can't tell the president that he has to go for a medical, or, or maybe they, maybe you can. Maybe that's a good one for David Demay. What can the American institutions do to force the American president to face it? Because again, I people will base this on their own experience in families. A lot of older people are quite resistant, right? They don't want to get that diagnosis. Of course, why would you? At least he at least he already gets driven places by other people. So at least he Do you remember how much pressure Boris came under to stand down and also Theresa May and she just stayed and stayed and stayed? And I, I think they're exerting that kind of pressure on him now and he's staying and staying and staying. You have to be a stubborn man to succeed in politics. But 
I don't know if it'll be his decision or the decision will be made for him, but... Or just let him make him, just pretend that he is still president. You know, like the Truman Show. Yeah, he won't know. He won't fucking know. (laughs) (laughs) We should move on to Trump now, because in fairness, he's been saying some mental stuff now, but maybe just because he's a bit mental. So there's reports that he'd said that UN countries aren't paying their 2% uh, towards NATO. He would actually encourage Russia to attack them. Now, on the face of it, again, it's like editorialising with the Azza Ali thing. You read that, you go... This is fucking worrying. Looks like this guy's going to win and stuff. Now, I mean, it is worrying that he says stuff like this, but there is crucial context to this is that it was said at a campaign rally. So we know enough about Trump to know that campaign rallies is just one man showing off around a country, you know, whether or not this means that he would literally encourage Vladimir Putin to attack a NATO. I mean, it's, it's, I'd, I wish he didn't say it, but I, I find it hard to believe that this was a genuine sort of policy that would stand the test of time. Yeah, well, I watched it and he did say it, but it was hyperbole to make a point. Yeah, he'd say, well, you're not paying your share. You're you're delinquent. I'd tell him he should invade you. I mean, once you see it, you go, all right, I'm I'm less worried than I was. So they've done the thing of quote him out of context and then you can change the story. And again, it was just something he said in in like an hour long speech, which he seemed to give without notes. So he goes off piece quite a lot, (laughs) to put it mildly. But to be fair to him, it's something, even when he was president and before, it always used to get his goat that other countries didn't pay their fair share. It's a fair point. And yeah, it is a fair point. And he's said that for years and years and years. He's just coming back to an old bet noir of his. Well, I suppose, you know, you could look at it another way is that he is pulling all the levers he can to get countries to yeah. contribute more towards NATO, which actually is the best bulwark against Russian aggression, right? So if they haven't done it, that's the point. If they haven't done it over 20 years, what would it take for them to do it is probably something quite extreme. So, and this might be the most I've got in trouble on the podcast for a while. Donald Trump, (laughs) oh my God. Now you want to talk about getting quoted out of context. Arguably, Donald Trump is, is the greatest protector of NATO because he's willing to say the most insane shit to protect it. I'll add to that. He always said insane shit, but he never actually acted on it. If you actually look at what he actually did, most of the time he was fairly moderate, but he always made out. He gave it this unpredictable thing, and that's kind of quite good because it keeps your enemies on their toes. Yes. I mean, you you could believe that he would do anything, I suppose, but um, I guess we will see. Okay, so that is uh, the end of the show. It just remains for me to thank Dominic Frisbee. Uh, Dom, thanks so much for being on the show, mate. Just remind people of things that they should look out for you, your social media, your tour dates. Well, my tour, you look out for my tour. All the information's at dominicfrisbee.com. So go to dominicfrisbee.com or you can also go to frisbeesnews.com and you'll find out everything you need to know there. And please come. It's going to be absolutely great and it's a really good show. Okay, so uh, I'll be back with another show next week where no doubt later Keir Starmer will have uh, made a principled and moral decision. And by that, I mean he's waited to see what a shit storm happens, <laughs> waited for the latest YouGov poll, and then made a decisive moral and principled decision. I'll see you next week. Bye.